you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I'll never forget tonight because like uh, Sally Simpson, I'm going to have a scar to remember it, right? Because uh, Mike McCready fucking hit me with his guitar tonight, the fucking little prick. So he, he yeah. So he, he pulls me into the bathroom just now and he says, uh, come here, come here. And he and he we look in the mirror and he points to a scar on his head and he goes, see that right there? And, and I go, yeah, and he says, That's the Warfield, San Francisco, eight years ago. You did it to me. So. <laughs> So I'm on the offensive now. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and we got a show for you today emanating out of london this is not going to be our last london show of the year i'll tell you that but this is at wembley arena it was a patreon request it's also an eight-man show so we got some things to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the double night thing because back then it felt like and ed has said this in this show We'll get to talk about that. He just wanted the two nights to be vastly different from each other. So I think in around this time, you start to get that night one and in night one from this show has a lot of the binaural album stuff. And then they change it up night two to be more of fan service and, you know, digging into no code and digging into some of the more uncommon tracks at the time. So Let's just get right into that, because I think that's going to be a good conversation for today. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. What's up? Yeah, you go back and look at the, the set list from night one, and it's heavy on binaural. It's like a lot of shows on that tour, like they're showcasing the new record. But for night two, it's a lot more equitable. You've got Versus with five, and then No Code, Binaural, and Vitalogy all with four, Yield, and ten with three. When was the last time you saw a show with more no code than 10? Like, that hardly ever happens. Yeah, I can't remember a time. 
Yeah, besides like your Moline and stuff, obviously. But it felt like they definitely like pulled back on the new record. Like, let's make this just more of a thing. And yeah, I think the the quote is, he says, oh, we're going to try some different things tonight. So yeah, this is a good request. I mean, we've done like a little more 2000 recently. And yeah, this is real good. I always like when these pop up. Well, you know what's funny is that when you look at it back then, it's like, okay, doing a couple of no-code songs and doing, you know, some of the deeper off Vitalogy and maybe like a Lost Dog or two. But now it's kind of when you talk about this kind of show in this conversation, a lot of it is, well, how many binaural songs did they play? Because that's sort of the standard because they never play binaural and most of those songs unless they play the full album, may never see a set for a very, very long time. But it feels like that the benchmark of getting this kind of show now starts with Binaural and, and probably Riot Act, I would think. Yeah, I would think so. Like, yeah, this for 2000 and 2003, those are such unique tours because they were playing a lot of those records that they just didn't play after. So a lot of that stuff is just tied to that era. Yeah, and, and I think we kind of mentioned it when we were talking about the Yield stuff, and you can go back into the archive. It's only one episode away where we talk a little bit about Yield and just sort of the 25th anniversary that all happened last week. Lots of good Yield content, and we'll get to that when uh, we get to the break and all. But we kind of talked about how it's hard for the 2000s records to have staple songs continuously in every night set and it really kind of ended with given a fly and do the evolution there's no song off binaural that you could say oh this is an every single night kind of song same with riot act like yeah there's a lot of come and go songs and maybe if you're lucky you'll get save you four or five nights on a 30 show tour something like that but yeah this it's kind of funny to compare the two sides and to what's rare from then and what people kind of put into that elevated spot. And I'm looking here at the set and I kind of see like in hiding would be like one of the first ones that would pop out to me. Habit would be one uh, off. He goes would be another immortality, maybe another. And yeah, it feels like this was their way of fan service this year, but also a lot of the songs that I, I just mentioned you know, like Immortality or something like that, they are infused into the set way more now than possibly they were back then. So, yeah, it's 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 a good mix and it's a good indicator of what they would do, especially when you have the two nights in the same city and you know that a lot of people, why are you going to buy for one night? Of course, if they're there and you live close by, why not do it two times? So, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting strategy and I think that a lot of bands that I've seen before that are just like, okay, we're going to do a three or four night stint here. Think the opposite. They think that, oh, every single night is going to have new fans. So we want it to be kind of equitable where everybody's sort of getting the same or similar kind of thing. Maybe they change like one or two songs a night, but that's it. But this is the absolute opposite where they're like, okay, well, if you weren't there last night, then you know, this is your show, but if you were there, then you're getting some completely different. That's not a strategy that most bands take. That's right. And yeah, Pearl Jam is it's not like most bands, as we know. Like, they take more care with their set list and with their live show than God, nearly anyone besides, you know, you, you look at like the Grateful Dead and stuff, which I'm not that familiar with. But 
you look at that night one set list and like yeah there are some of the same songs obviously they're going to do grievance they're going to do corduroy they're going to do even flow you're going to get black and alive do the evolution but other than that like the other songs are all different you look at this set list up and down like grievance just 145 times sometimes less than 100 nothing as it seems just past 100 this year in hidings less than 100 thin air is less than 50 you know off he goes is only at 120 light years is still less than 100 like all these songs that like never stuck around like you said and they all kind of th- this set is kind of filled with those it's going to be fun to talk about oh yeah for sure yeah this is a good show and yeah that that will be a prominent point in conversation i'm sure but also i think different for now and back then is that they had less to work with back then so you could say okay throw in your even flows and throw in your corduroys and daughters and stuff like that to kind of break it up and you'd still get something very substantial like this was considered really substantial for the hardcore fan back then but now you have so many more albums that almost kind of need to be evenly distributed especially with what we got in 2022 with the shortened sets. Now you kind of see a couple of those songs and maybe you're not getting like per se a riot act night. Maybe you're just getting one riot act song and it becomes harder and harder over time to fill in those late two thousands records. How many avocado songs and performances did we get this year? A couple on comeback, a couple on inside job and once on life wasted. I could be missing one or two. I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head, but not a lot. We got one performance of the song lightning bolt and then a couple of mind your manners and a couple of sleeping by myself but that was it off that record you know one pendulum too but yeah it's just kind of fascinating in the way that what we perceive now to be this kind of set list that they saw back then but you know what that's how the stuff evolves that's how the stuff grows and if it weren't for the fans that I wouldn't say demanded this, but like prioritize this, I suppose then, you know, maybe Pearl Jam does come out with the basic album tour kind of set list. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get a chance to find out this year if it ends up being different. Okay. This, as I mentioned before, is a Patreon request from our patron, longtime patron, I believe Chris Riddell. And I want to apologize for a mistake that I made because I know he emailed me a while back saying that he wanted to do actually the first night, the 29th, and we're doing the 30th today, but he wanted to do the first night. And I guess I got it in my head that the second night was an eight-man show. So I just said, eight-man, 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 we want to do eight-man and kind of forgot what his original request was but i went to him like hey what do you want and he's said yeah do the show that's totally fine got story from it so let's get a little of chris's story here i got into pearl jam around the time that jeremy came out i was 12 at the time and the song and video made a huge impact on me i bought 10 and verses soon afterwards loved them however being in england if something wasn't getting much radio play or getting onto the charts there wasn't much exposure spin black circle was a hit but then there wasn't any real follow-up in terms of chart action Britpop really took over from 1994 and dominated the charts here and i fell away from the band because of that it wasn't until late 1999 that i happened to pick up a copy of yield which drew me back in. 
Once the binaural tour started and the official bootlegs started appearing in shops, I picked up the two London ones, which was the first exposure to the band playing live. The thing that struck me immediately was the differences between the two shows. So many bands play the same set or close to the same set every night, and these two were so different, not only in set list, but also in overall tone of the show. Night one was a bit more tentative, like they were still feeling their way through the new songs. However, night two had more energy, drive, and the band just seemed like they were enjoying themselves more, which reflects in it being one of the eight-man shows. I hadn't bought Vitalogy or No Code at the time, so hearing songs like Hail Hail and Immortality for the first time blew me away. There are still a couple of early-in-the-tour issues, In Hiding in particular is a little rough, but also some terrific performances. Habit, not one of my favorite songs, but this performance is great, as well as Grievance, Untitled MFC, Off He Goes, and Rearview Mirror being standouts for me. I think a lot of those are going to come back in further conversations later. Great minds think alike, great tastes kind of work out here. Could probably have done without that one guy screaming out for Brain and Jay constantly, though. Presume that wasn't you, Randy. That That is correct. I, I don't remember where I was on this date in 2000, but it definitely was not in London. Being late to the party in terms of the band's history, I relied on sites like Five Horizons to start to learn about important shows, and thanks to Live on Four Legs, I've enjoyed learning about all sorts of other shows that I never have gotten to otherwise. There's too many choices. So thanks for spreading so much knowledge around this amazing community, and I hope anyone who hasn't come across this show before enjoys it. Well, that's the goal. That's the goal. Nobody is sitting here saying, don't listen to this show. This show is abominable. This is awful, abysmal. You don't want anything to do with it. And I don't know, maybe there were like two or three that both of us were kind of like, eh, just not our favorites. But yeah, every, every show has something really enjoyable. It just so happens that this show has a lot of things. Yeah, go back to that Austin City Limits Festival. I'm going to think I wasn't wasn't real high on that one, but they're, they're few and far between. We kind of split that because you weren't high on the 2009 one. I wasn't high on the 2014 one. So yeah. there's something about Austin, guys. Don't request any Austin episodes anytime soon because we ain't saying anything good about it, apparently. But, hey, one time we might do the 1995 one and everything will be okay and kind of fix that streak. But, uh, Chris, thank you. Great story and great to hear from you, of course. And thanks so much for your patronage and and donations. And it has gone a long way into what we're doing. And hey, you know, you get a request out of it. So can't be all that bad, right? Yeah. All right. Why don't we get into the question of the week here, which was posed? It's kind of the same thing that we were talking about for, you know, the last 10 minutes or so. What is your favorite two-night run where you got to witness both shows? Was there a discernible difference between the sets from these nights? And which one did you prefer? So I'm going to go through and see over here. Let's start with Rob Horace. Wrigley 2016, night one was the first Pearl Jam concert in 15 years. Experiencing the power and energy that Pearl Jam can provide was awesome. The deep cut of B-Girl and an epic version of Masters of War were great. Night 2 was a 90s full set that hit all the high notes and somehow brought more energy. Black, Red, Yellow with Dennis Rodman, Lucan with the break to address an idiot in the crowd, and the triple closer with Rockin' in the Free World, Yellow, Ledbetter, and I Got a Feeling. You could tell the band wanted to keep going. Yeah, 
Look, I think a lot of the answers that we got were definitely of the ballpark variety, because if, if you're going specifically, especially to a destination spot, unless you have only one ticket or unless you have other plans that, you know, you need to attend to, you're most likely going to go to both because that's just kind of how the package is. And especially if you just go to one, especially a night one, then you're like, fuck, I'm going to miss the second night, which is, of course, usually the night that everyone wants to be at. So, yeah, the ballpark shows in that aspect. And both of us have been to our share of ballpark shows. Just those two for me. That that That's the only one that I've got. As far as back-to-back night ballpark shows, I only have the Fenway ones, but 13 for, for Wrigley in there. But, yeah, I, I think those ballpark shows are a good indicator. And always, because they are such big shows, they do spread it out a lot more than maybe they would in the arena. Yeah, it's just a, it's a different vibe, totally. It lends itself to being a little more epic, and they can play a little bit longer, and you're dealing with, you know, 50,000, 60,000 people instead of, you know, fifteen or 20,000. Let's go to the next one. This is from Steve Bennett, who you might have heard from on our last Binaural Tour show. And this is about Clarkson. Oh, one of my favorite shows in this little 2003 run. It's Clarkson Night 2. It's very good, but he went to both nights. This was one of the most unique two-show runs that I've been to. The first night was sort of corporate, but it started off two days of weird. Breath was sixth, and Mullins to God's Dice and to Rival to start the show, and I'm sure those three haven't started a show before or since. Then night two, totally different. Wild Crowd, Man Trilogy, not much 10, but a ton of Vitalogy and No Code, just something really different and unique about them. 50 songs in total, even flow and corduroy repeated, but not much else. It was a wild couple of days. Yeah, we did that night two show a while back. And if that's something that you're not familiar with, definitely go check it out. Because, yeah, all of this was kind of put together. As he mentioned, the venue had prioritized. Some of the companies got the floor seats and everything like that. So there weren't a lot of... 10 club people where Ed and the band is usually used to it. So they're like, all right, well, you don't know our stuff. Then we're just going to hit you with all of the random and rare stuff. And it's just, it's very good. It's very good. And it it all works out in such a, a unique way. Let's go to Carl Thorlickson for this one. The home shows as that is my only two shows in the same building experience. For night one, it was spectacular. The opening five songs and a toss-in with a nervous Brandy Carlisle. A memory I will cherish forever, Long Road Release, Low Light, Elderly Woman, and Corduroy. I mean, both shows were pretty fantastic, and both with different identities, and I think that's the best thing that you can say whenever they do the two-night, is that you're just going to spread so much you you know your first night in seattle was very much dedicated to the charity functions they they were doing to fight homelessness and they raised a ton of money that kind of took over night one he told a lot of stories kind of based off of that but night two was kind of like the hometown show where they got all their friends on stage they played the the old songs the new songs and they kind of had that big mix in so yeah that, that that's a good one Yeah, I mean, Ed's always done a really good job of curating these two-night runs as, like, a whole thing. He doesn't treat them as one show and then one show. He looks at the whole thing and is like, okay, what are we looking to do on night one? What are we looking to do on night two? They have such a 
diverse catalog that the vibe can totally change from night one to night two and they do a very good job of making the two shows seem like a whole so you do feel like you need to go to both sometimes yeah it was only once where i missed a night one that was in chicago in 2009 that was literally my second show and the only thing i guess i regret from missing night one is that i don't have a full album of backspacer because they played supersonic that night but yeah that's a that's a big whatever let's just do one more here this is from tavoli obviously great name if somebody decided to name him tavoli then yeah they were pearl jam fan right from the start i suppose but I don't think that was the case because he said in t- Seattle of 2000, the first night had a great set list, but the crowd was subdued. Second night, Pearl Jam put forth their best effort on tour. Red Hot Chili Peppers opened both nights. That Red Hot Chili Pepper tour was the return of John Frusciante too. Wellwater Conspiracy played with Ed and Supergrass. So that's a good one because, you know, I am thinking that a lot of times they will end a tour on a two-nighter or a double-nighter and we've talked about before how you want to be at the night before the closer and i feel like in the double shows there i feel like you kind of want to be at the second night because they are holding up so much for that one and they kind of want to go out on that big bang The, the one that a couple that i can remember actually being like pj20 and msg in 2010 those are the ones that really stand out to me Yeah, and even the one from last year with the two shows in Hyde Park, those two shows were just incredible. Again, treated them as a whole, not a lot of repeats. And yeah, we're going to get to those at some point pretty soon. I think we were scheduled to do those really early on, but uh, I'm sure we'll get to them. them You don't want to tease them. (laughs) We have no promises right now, and that can't be any good. But yeah, it's on our minds. Yeah, Possibly get it in by the end of the year. Who knows? Maybe middle of the year. But yeah. Those shows are on our minds. We just we just annoyed half of London, by the way. Half of England and, and most of Scotland and and Wales as well. But anyway, you're all tuning in for this show right here that happened in 2000 in London. And this was the fifth official show of that binaural tour in Europe. And it's very interesting because it kind of feels like this show might have been the catalyst to be like, all right, we know what we're doing on this tour. We know where we're taking this. And this tour has some real dynamite shows. I think like maybe the majority of the Ape Man shows happen in 2000. Don't really have that in front of me right now, but I know that there is a lot that are in here. I know that Well show is one of them. I know that I believe the Verona show is another. Yeah, there, there are a couple in here, so first before they actually take the stage is actually ed on stage with an electric guitar and he's gonna play a little last kiss i'm gonna let you take this one what was up with this yeah he comes out and he's got a he calls it his keith moon stripey jacket we don't have video of this unfortunately it's not on the video but there was one of the who like movies or home videos where keith moon was known for wearing this like very outlandish very garish kind of stripey jacket i think ed is kind of channeling that a little bit but i mean it's it's a nice version of last kids you know it doesn't get super like anthemic it's not like kind of the theatrical versions that would come later but it just seemed like really nice kind of sweet version of it the monkey wrench is opening these shows which is I think is Mark Arman and Steve Turner from Mudhoney. They're kind of blues side project band. And Ed comes out and like is going to introduce the band. He says, oh, you've got here, here, here. And then he forgets the 
guitar player's name, and someone I think someone yells out Mike, and he's like, "Nope, that's the wrong band. That's that's our band." But yeah, just the one song. I'm sure you know playing at Wembley. You know this storied arena in London. You talk about like all the classic shows that have been there. It's like this iconic venue for concerts and must have been pretty exciting for him to just kind of sit there with electric guitar and have this whole crowd getting into Last Kiss. So it, it is the only cover of the night as well. So we're, we're not going to talk about any more covers on tonight. That's right. I have a question. Is the Monkey Wrench the band in any relation to the Monkey Wrench, the, you know, what would become the record label and what was the, you know, the branding for Monkey Wrench Radio? I don't think it maybe indirectly they might have just like thought it was a cool name but they're just like kind of a, a really kind of dirgy blues side project i think tom price was maybe in gas huffer and like just some kind of garage bands in seattle people got together but i remember like i know mud honey was a big part of it but it might have been i think they started around 95 96 97 so could be more information on that, consult your local Pearl Jam library, which happens to be either Five Horizons or us. So consult the other guys, because we don't really have a clue. Anyway, let's get to the start of the show. We're opening with Sometimes, and right from the start, it feels like, and we're going to kind of say this a little bit, because, again, this is only a couple shows in right here, so they still are working some brand new ones, or some ones that they hadn't played since the Yield Tour in, because you can't just play everything at one show. But there's a couple of songs here that, yeah, they haven't played in two years, so they're kind of dusting them off a little bit, and this is really one of the first times that they had a gap in between tour years. 1999, they only did some Bridge School shows, and everybody kind of did their own solo stuff. But yeah, sometimes hadn't been played since the 15th of September in 1998. And this is the first time busting it back since then. It's a good opener here. I like versions that really have a punch to it, that kind of lift and, and carry and kind of not exactly soar, but like drive momentum as it keeps going. And I think my favorite thing about that aspect is probably when you kind of following along as Ed is doing his all. Sometimes I do this, sometimes I do that, sometimes I do that. And you get to the part where they stop and you just recognize you're like, you were totally drawn into that. You were totally kind of vibing on that. And then they, they break and it's kind of that moment where you're like, ooh, okay. They kind of excelled in that moment. And then, you know, finishing off to, I think this is another thing I really love about versions sometimes when they get that little extension on the back end and again, a little bit of punch. So, yeah, this is a good version of Sometimes to Open Us. Yeah, I noticed, too, we did uh, Toronto a few weeks ago from 2000. We talked about kind of that metallic sound that, that Mike is doing on sometimes, and that's present in this version as well. But yeah, it builds really well. Ed is definitely leading that. Like, he starts strumming harder and, like, kind of building up that tension of it at the end and then drops down and before it, like, has this really kind of quiet landing in the outro. Yeah, really dynamic version. Thought it was a great way to start. 
And if you're questioning how the band felt about it, it was pretty good because it opened up the next night in Dumbledore as well. So there you go. Grievance, Corduroy, Hail Hail, the first three to lead the charge here. And, you know, it's funny because we had a couple weeks where it was Corduroy into Grievance. We were saying, oh, yeah, it's a pretty common combination at the time. But now we're getting the opposite here. Grievance is kind of, and this has happened a lot in 2000, where it's the second song kind of pulls you in that way. And you get a lot of ferocity from Ed, and it's kind of a great tone setter for what you're going to get in the next, like, five or six songs or so. But I had some thoughts about just the choruses and the way that, obviously, you know, when Ed's doing the pledge my grievance to the flag and right in between, Mike sort of embellishes and he kind of like just does this like two or three second solo that gives so much more like electricity and depth into the song. And I thought that this would be a good one to get Javier on the line for because we have one later where we're going to talk about the pedals, but this is another one with the pedals and binaural at the time. They're pretty prominent and they're worth talking about. So I wanted to see what this sound was and how this sound was kind of used in the era. And then once we get to nothing as it seems, we'll bring the conversation back. So let's get to Javier. Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So Wembley show this week. Let's start with Grievance. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but around this time, Mike was using a lot of echoes, delays. Specifically, there is a red pedal on his board called the Boss DM2. Fully analog, very dark delay, very moody delay. It's always going to react different depending on the guitar that you're using, depending on the amp that you're using. When you hear songs from this tour, you can notice that this pedal was used specifically in plenty of songs, not only Grievance, like you can hear later on in the show in Nothing As It Seems or Corduroy or plenty of other songs. But just the intention of adding intensity layering and ambience to the songs i think that was the main use of this he still has another delay pedal on his board which is the dl4 made by line six but specifically this dm2 this boss dm2 it was so well used when it comes to add intensity to the song when to want to add that darkness that like ambience that it makes it sound so rich but also is he's not overwhelming like the entire band or he's not overwhelming what Ed is trying to do on the vocals, specifically over the chorus of this song. I think it's a really, really, really interesting fact about around this tour and this era, specifically for the use of the Boss DM2. So great job. And, and one of these days, I know he has like the setup for it. I would love to put almost an image where because he, he's mentioned the the pedal board before and you know he kind of says oh the red one's here the green one's there and kind of goes over the whole thing but at, at some point i'd love to get almost like a, a blueprint of what the pedal board is for every era to 
to show people and visualize, okay, this is where everything was for him at that time. And I'm sure, you know, it's grown tremendously over the years. But yeah, he was reliant on the pedal effects during 2000. And he had some good equipment, so I don't blame him at all. <laughs> Definitely. We talked about it too. You know, 2000 is the year that Mike kind of broke out and became who he would become and who he is today. Like this whole tour is just his coming out party. We talked about it on that Letterman performance. Like he just like exploded off this, the screen on that thing. You're like, oh, this, this guy's the star now. Yeah, that's right. It kind of takes a year before people recognize it because it felt like in 2003, yeah, people were starting to line up on, on Mike's side a lot more. And, of course, the touring band live DVD probably helped put that visual into play and be like, okay, we need to be by Mike, of course. There was a quick lyric change in Corduroy. It was, I'm already cut up and what? Yeah, I didn't catch it. I heard the same thing, and I, I even played it back, but I couldn't figure out what it was it's so fast. Same. Yeah, really tough, and, and Five Horizons didn't have the information on that. So, hey, if you want to listen to it and take a guess, then by all means. But, yeah, another Corduroy that has a big-time surge. Right from the start, they're making a Night 2 show worthwhile with the song choices. I think sometimes into Grievance into Corduroy, now it would be mind-blowing, but... Yeah, back then, you know, Grievance was the one that built up the energy and Corduroy followed it up. Like like I said, they were doing these together almost every night. And yeah, the ending of Corduroy is fantastic. I mean, yeah, you talk about how to build up a crowd in a big arena like this. Like that's definitely going to do it. Yeah, we shouldn't leave Hell Hell out of the conversation because that was a good performance as well. Felt like there was a big fill that Matt just oh, pulverized yeah. during that bridge. And yeah, it kind of sweeps you off your feet. So yeah, that was, that was really good stuff there. I do want to get into Animal because oh, I don't know if I've ever heard Ed, especially post-1993, do this on Animal. This was a damn good scream. This was a damn good yell. done to absolute perfection just big growl a lot of power ferocity in that like you kind of felt that either he's really really loose or he's just in a mood and and i think it was loose i think that everybody was in a great mood that night and it kind of helped sort of bring out the best of them in all areas it's a really good spot for it too to like you think after they're gonna come you got grievance corduroy hey you think okay we're gonna come in and change the pace but they come back with one more just to get one last punch in i think it's it's worth mentioning a little bit that some of these performances at the top here all have like little little hitches you know there is one in corduroy there is one in hail hail and it's yeah. nothing drastic 
but it does come into play once or twice a little bit later. So I'm just bringing that up now just for reference and all that. But real quick about this, and I don't really have much on this, but there was a missed lyric on it. But at the end, what you see at the end is Ed kind of shuts his eyes, closes his eyes during this. And I don't think I've ever seen this for dissident, like, but he looked like, and the way that he sang it just felt kind of impassioned. Like he was singing, like, I don't know, like an R and B singer or something like that. Just the way that he displayed it, I suppose just felt a little bit more, I don't know, soft and a little bit more vulnerable in a way. And I don't know if you really get that on dissident. Yeah, he was really emotive at this show. Like, a lot of times you'd look at him and he'd be doing stuff with his hands and making motions and turning around, and he's all over the place. You can tell that that's when he's in a good mood, when he's feeling it, when he's emoting like that and kind of, like, playing out the songs, acting things out. Right now, I think the moment that you all came here to see from the Binaural Tour, of course, it's probably one of the best things that they did in this year. Nothing as it seems. And like mentioned before in Grievance, we are going to get into the pedal stuff with this as well, but boy, it makes this song thrive live. And I know that every time that we get a chance to talk about that, like that's going to be the conversation, but it's because of the sound. And I think Javier is going to get into kind of had this like dark, almost like horror story kind of sound. Like it really brings in an extra added element with the rest of the band. That pace is, is a little bit more subdued. If you listen to the Jeff solo on this, when he was doing the demo, it's a completely different song. And even within the vocals and stuff like that, it's not as manic as what Mike brings to the table on this. The transition of nothing as it seems, to me, it's incredible. The way you take that song and Mike just puts his stamp on it and is like, no, this is going to be mine. Like Almost even more than like an Even Flora Alive or some of those older ones, it's like, this is his song right from the very beginning and he didn't write it. So it just shows, you know, how collaborative they were at the time. Let's go back to Javier on this one to talk a little bit more about those effects and, and the pedals that Mike was using for this song and why it garnered this kind of sound. It's very interesting. Actually, you guys, when you hear the intro for Nothing As It Seems from the show, um, you can hear Mike playing the intro, uh, just the overdrive running through the amps. But then in the middle of the intro, you can really hear this layering coming up and building up. Um, that's the DM2. Makes the song so dark, kind of like scary, like w when you can start to hear all these layers. But again, another example of a really, really good use of this element on Mike's board, just to try to use it specifically to add intensity, layers and ambience to this tour. Thank you, Javier. Very, very yeah. good stuff this week. And look, I hope you guys have been enjoying these segments because 
I've been loving them. I feel like we've been learning so much about just aspects of this band live that we haven't even really touched up on at this level. So, yeah, I, I mean, if you see Javier around on Facebook or something like that, just give him a thank you because he's doing a great job. He seems to really, really love doing it, too. We'll get him involved in, in actual shows, too, where we'll invite him on an episode. We'll kind of do all this you know, a good one that has a lot of different sounds, a lot of different production on it. So if you guys have a suggestion for which episode we should do for that, then please live on four legs podcast, gmail.com made us up. All right. We're stopping to talk right here for the first time. Ed says, how you doing? I don't know if you've heard what our schedule was, but we played here last night and it was great. And as smooth and strong as it went, we're going to do things completely different tonight. And this is a good sign right here. They're going to go into In Hiding that, you know, just like sometimes and Dissident, they hadn't busted it out yet on this tour. It had been since 1998. So, yeah, they're, they're starting to kind of get a couple of these songs more acclimated in the set. And In Hiding would only get played four more times while on this European run, which isn't bad, but compared to all of the other songs that are surrounding it, Animal was 24, and Daughter was 21, and Embassy was 19, and stuff like that. But this is kind of what is considered to be like the rare moment of the night during this era. Yeah, getting a featured spot kind of right in the middle of the set here. And did you notice too, like, we always talk about Stone playing the leads on these Yield songs, but this one, Mike actually has the lead thing. But yeah, I mean, coming off of nothing as it seems, you got to give it to Mike there. But another one where Ed kind of messes up the lyrics and gets a little confused. It's funny. Yeah, there were there were little, little hitches within the song, just like some of the other ones that we mentioned. But again, they haven't played it in two years, so it's just going to happen. And if they decide they want to do it a couple of times, then they're going to have to do it at some point. So learn from the mistakes, I guess. But there is a fun little moment where Stone at the end, it kind of, to me, seemed like he was just making fun of the fact that everybody had one issue or another. Mm -hmm. And he kind of plays that little outro a little bit slower and kind of plucks it differently. And Ed's just staring at him like, I got you. Yep. Mm -hmm. You got me. That's that's a good one. He's cracking up. He does like even like a little flourish with his hand, like and scene. It's like a little thing he does like, but yeah, he extends it a little bit and plays it up. And yeah, it's a fun moment. So this is where we're going to get a dedication to Tom Price of Monkey Wrench. He kind of makes good for his mistake from earlier, and that's going to be the even flow performance right here. Solo wise, pretty much on fire right from the start comes in and immediately makes you turn your head and then of course as we mentioned before mike the showman cocking his head up and getting a little bit of the demon possession mode which he's starting to you know it was this in black that's going to come later he's starting to kind of gain that but it's not like the must see just yet but he is doing things that make it seem like okay he's really in the mode what did you think here because there's something i noticed that i don't think really happens on even flow that much but during the solo it doesn't leave the stage he doesn't go off to the side he doesn't go in the back where he usually does like he usually kind of takes a minute to go that take a cigarette or something like that but he's standing right in the middle of the stage and he's just watching mike on this i don't think i've ever seen that before hmm. you'd have to go back a, a ways probably but i mean this is a showstopper from mike i thought like eyes closed head thrown back putting everything he's got into it yeah this is a fantastic even flow solo 
you could put this up with some of the ones from the last few years and I think it holds up too. I think he's these are some of my favorite ones where he's not just like showing off, you know, how many notes he can play in 0.2 seconds. It's like there's some passion behind it, there's some feeling behind it, there's some emotion and like those are the best ones I think and this one's in that category. Oh, and how about that build back to the end of the song right there? Just another intense magnificent fill from that and really it's Matt and Mike both working together on it sounded so good on this take the mic afterwards after staring and, and watching all of what just transpired says i don't know how many of you were lucky enough to have fallen in love the last couple weeks or even the last couple years but consider yourself lucky stone wrote a really nice song about young love and we're going to play it right here and it's funny because the next two are completely contrasting ideas of songs you have thin air which as you mentioned a love song and then habit which is well, about addiction and about not love, I suppose. I think it's about more about hate in a way. But what do you think of Thin Air? Because it's not very often that we get a Thin Air version from really, really early in 2000. It seems like they've played it a little bit more in the later eras. It just kind of seemed to have popped up like Lightning Bolt Tour, Backspacer Tour a little bit. But... We don't get to see too many early versions of this, so what did you think? I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, when they were doing those kind of acoustic encore sets, it would show up occasionally there, but in the middle of a set like this, in between even Flow and Habit, it looks like, man, that's super weird. But was, um, yeah. really, the thing that made this for me is Stone's harmonies. His voice sounds so good harmonizing with Ed. I thought it really meshed very well. And I think it added a lot. I I think it's been a long time since we've heard Stone do harmonies on this. So that made it kind of stand out. Yeah, only the sixth version, which is super cool. Yeah, I think another thing that goes along with the song and just Ed's approach to it, and it happened a couple times this night, is that he was just channeling what the mood of the song was. I'm going to go back to this when we get into light years. And remember, like you, you mentioned, it's been played six times before. So they're channeling their same feelings for the song that they had while recording them. You know, the songs haven't evolved and changed to where the live rendition and how they actually play the song is is taking control over their mindset of what writing the song was. So it feels like Ed is capturing a lot of that theme of love and, as he mentions, young love, which is interesting because this is one of the rare times that he was actually single, that he wasn't married to Beth. He would meet Jill about a month later, and I think that it was probably on his mind, so I wonder if that was kind of the reason why he channeled it. But yeah, good performance. Nicely done. Habit, on the other hand, again, yin and yang here, this is one of the best versions of Habit I've ever heard. Oh, first of all, it looks like everybody's legitimately having fun with this. 
And usually on habit, it's just like, okay, let's focus, let's keep up the pace, let's let's just jam it down their throats. But it looked like everybody was just having a good time, and it, it brought a lot of juice onto the stage, too, in that way where, yeah, it still was fierce and furious, but you can tell they're having the time of their life while playing it. That's all nice and good, but the ending jam is what really, really stands out on this. This was unbelievably good. It's one of the best I've heard in a long, long time. And like, it, it's fast, but it's not too fast. The three guitar attack again with Ed just joining in with, with Mike and Stone just makes it sound so good. I think Mike just falls on the floor at one point, just kind of pummeling his guitar. This is one of the highlights of very, very intense version of Habit. Yeah, you know, I kind of liken it to those versions of Deep from very, very early on. It felt like they did the descent into madness mode in this. And I think habit does have a little bit of that, but usually it'll kind of end out and sort of figure its way out back to the middle. But I can't get enough of this. This was a phenomenal version of this. And hopefully you guys just enjoyed what we just played. So there you have it. This is nice right here. Cause you get the combo of untitled and MFC. And after that is going to follow up with off he goes. This is the third ever appearance of Untitled as the table setter. And it's actually the second where it goes directly into MFC because there was a show earlier on this this little run before getting to this show where I think the plan was to do them back to back. But I guess there was an equipment problem with Stone and they end up going into Last Kiss instead. That's the only time where Untitled was not prior to MFC. But it was just a beautiful intro and and just kind of like in in thin air. He's like channeling something that's very heartfelt and it looks like he was talking about love and it looks like he kind of had his his mind focused on something very specific and it was really nice and led to a very atmospheric version of MSC that was also very good. Those are just 
everything after Habit, I think I mentioned it, but everything after Habit is top-notch good. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting into the best part of the set right here. It's from Thin Air and Habit through the end of the main set. I think this is the part that, that really stands out from this. Off he goes, of course, too. Like, I think we've talked a little bit before about how they kind of turned this anthemic instead of a little more stark. And I think this version kind of has that, it almost has that resolve to it. When you get to that point, like right at the end, he's off again, and then they really start to ramp it up. And that's the part that I think finds its anthemic identity. But I think they built to that so well. And I think that might be, you know, one of the reasons why, like this era and, and earlier, why this song really stands out so much, because you can do that just kind of sullen to begin with and kind of capturing the identity of what this song is and then building into something pretty triumphant. And again, just completely changing the vibe of the show. Like we talked about thin air into habit is such a complete 180 and then going from MFC into off he goes and daughter it's going to kick back up after that. Like they really do a good job of like mixing up the variety of the songs and not just, you know, rock, rock, rocker, rocker, rocker all the way through. Like they're giving this crowd and they're kind of taking them on a ride and like riding those waves and building it up and then like we're gonna play it cool for a little while before we bring out the rock ones again yeah it's well done yeah and even at the end of it like right as they kind of get into the last little bit you can kind of feel some of the stress drop from ed's shoulders like he was trying to get something out in this version Almost kind of like versions of release that we'll talk about, where after the last big release, me he'll just go, <gasps> and that ounce of energy and the weight off his shoulders are just off. I, I felt a little bit of that in this off he goes too. Yeah, this is a very very good version. It'll be very very difficult to decide what the top three are because there's some excellent excellent renditions of songs here. The next combo: three punch of daughter, not for you, and state of love and trust. A little bit on Daughter, we can talk about the honor rope tag, and we can talk about a little bit of the lyrics at the end, but I think we need to get to Not For You as quick as possible. What'd you think about the improv stuff? I like this. I am a, a Rocket from the Crypt fan. I had that album that Honor Rope is on, Scream, Dracula, Scream. I think that's probably their best one. I, I do want to do a plug. If anyone wants to sign up for the Rocket from the Crypt program, that is on the list. We can talk about Honor Rope a little more. But um, yeah, a very cool. Like the, the first time they've done it, and he just kind of like vocalizes a little bit, going up and down, and then just Honor Rope, Honor Rope, Honor Rope. That is probably might be my favorite Rocket from the Crypt song. And then, yeah, it goes into this little improv about, like, you know, save it for any day and what would I be without your love? And again, kind of the same themes that you talked about on Thin Air and Untitled. Like, he's kind of in a romantic mood on this night. Seems to be so, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of going to change for about six minutes when we get to Not For You because it, Not For You is not very romantic. However... What's interesting about this not for you is that it kind of felt like it was just a little, little bit slower than usual. And I was thinking like, okay, this does sound like got the anger. It's got the rage. It's got everything that you could ask for in not for you from this era. But I was wondering why it was just a little bit slower. And then I saw something that caught my eye and I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. And believe it or not. There's a moment in this, I believe it's during the bridge, where Ed does the kneel pose, where he's got guitar on one knee, 
takes to the side and kind of like strums outward. And right there, I was like, they're playing this like Neil. It's a little stomp. It's a little more open. But Neil doesn't do like the angry rage at all. So this could be a little bit of insight of what that would sound like if he had ever gone that direction. What do you think of that? That, That's funny because I I wrote the exact same thing down. (laughs) This version has like definitely more of like a swing to it and like a groove like from the very beginning. I even I think stomp is another word that I use, but he's doing that Neil kind of shuffle stomp with his like head down the the iconic like Neil that you think of him when he plays guitar and he just kind of stomps around the stage and paces around. Ed is doing exactly that here. Yeah, I, I agree that this not for you is it's exactly what like Crazy Horse would sound like playing not for you. Just hearing that makes me want that so much. him doing the Neil pose and it looked exactly like it but it also could have been like a battle signal because we are about to go into war right here things have kind of changed in the last couple of songs Mike's shirt is off and it seemed like you know he's just feeling the moment and I, I guess was kind of in battle mode himself and then somewhere near the end him and Ed catch each other's eyes they get together and they're doing this headbutt battle. We've seen this before where they're butt heads. They kind of take head to shoulder a little bit and they kind of play like a, a test of strength thing. And then it's really a little tough to make out, but you do see Ed's head go backwards a little bit. It's because Mike whacked him in the face with the head of his guitar. It was tough to see though, right? Yeah, he falls down and plays the outro to the song. It's a really extended that little pretty outro that Not For You has. He's completely like hunched over, just playing it on the floor. And you wonder if it did kind of like throw him for a loop a little bit. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen anyone do that on stage? What, just play on the floor for? No, someone hurt someone else in their same band. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was like an every night occasion, some shows. uh, Quick story, when my band opened up for At The Drive-In in in Athens, the the first song that came out, the guitar player just brained Cedric right in the face, and he was, like, all bleeding and stuff. They had to, like, take a minute and, like, get him fixed up. But, like, yeah, all the time. 
Yeah, I, I used to condone that shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what makes people want to see you more, I suppose. You know, look, with, with thousands of bands in a scene that is, is highly congested with them, you had to be different, and if causing fights and squirting water guns was going to be the thing that made you different, then you fucking did it. So... I had no problem doing any of that stuff in the very, very few shows in front of a wider audience that we played. But anyway, I think State of Love and Trust is more interesting than any of that. It had tons of energy, this version. It kind of funny after, you know, the whole little battle there where Ed changes the lyrics to, I do this one myself, but points over and says, with his help, pointing to yep. McCready. Yep. Yeah, what'd you think of this? I thought there were some great fills on this version, too. It was good, hard to follow up that version enough for you, but yeah, that that little lyrical change I'd noticed too. Like that's going to come back a few more times before the end of the set. They're going to play up the rivalry, the war a little bit. Yeah, last two songs on the main set right here are "Immortality" and "Rearview Mirror." And "Immortality" was a little bit of a struggle for Ed, it seems, because the first lyric on both verses, it seemed like he kind of fumbled around with a little bit. But you know, we we did see the version of this in Columbia a couple weeks ago where they completely bailed on the song within you know the first half minute or so. But this a lyric flub wasn't gonna let them dump it on on this version and honestly they didn't have to because what if we didn't get that drum outro on that because this was another one for the history books in this as we talked about thousands and thousands of times how good that outro is on immortality this one is right up there with some of the best oh yeah i mean it's the matt cameron show he has a he has a fill right before the solo that's just oh it's just powerful and like thunder and just builds the song and just makes you want to jump out of your chair and start like thrashing around and then yeah that jam at the end though like my goodness how has the song only been played 174 times like how do they not do this every night and just go off on that thing Excellent, excellent, excellent at the end. There's some very wicked machine gun pops in there, too, especially, like, right at the tail end. A rearview mirror closing out, just, you know, short and kind of sweet on this in the bridge. It isn't very extended, but really not the point of discussion. 
on this it seemed like ed had a ton of attitude and a ton of punch within delivery here it just seemed like as this took off and as this kind of fed off the bridge the ending just blazed a path you could tell everybody's loose they're feeling it and ed you know as he's doing the saw things part he's screaming sing it sing it and yeah just furious double bass going on at the end there and massive highlight as the big ender and closer here like you can't get much better yeah it really felt like a classic kind of 93 94 version like I said you're keeping it tight it didn't meander like it would start to around this time and it felt like they were just blazing through it yeah classic version all right we're on to the encore let's pause for a little bit for station identification I want to thank everybody for tuning in to all of the Yield coverage for the 25th anniversary. That was all, a lot of it was very, very off the cuff. And I'll just give a lot of credit right here to our webmaster, Chris Everett, who got in touch with me last Tuesday and said, where is our Yield article? Because he remembered, because he's our webmaster, of course, he remembered where we did articles for No Code and 10 and Verses that all had the top live versions of songs from that record and featured that. And he's like, why aren't you doing it for Yield? And I said, that's a great question. I have no idea. I can't answer why at all. So, you know, within the next 48 hours, we had to come up with 12 to 13 songs to write some paragraphs about it. And we got by with a little help from our friends on that. Big shout out to Brian, Patrick, Aaron, and Dakota on that and just stepping up and helping kind of at the 11th hour right there. And we put it together. Definitely go check it out. On, and uh, on and the, Chris, Chris too ended up writing a couple. So he, he, he did. Up. He did. And he did a fantastic job. I think it was the first time he ever actually wrote anything for the site. Yeah. So great. Live on fourlegs.com. It's still up. If you, if you, well, it's always going to be up, but it's still on the main page. You'll still have a big graphic on it on the slider if you want to go and check that out. It's, it's worth your time. Absolutely. And the other stuff that we did for Yield, we, of course, as we mentioned before, we had a 25th anniversary retrospective that we published out to the main platform. It's very good. And it just kind of us talking about where we are today with the record and how that's impacted uh, the band over time. We talk about the live stuff. We talk about Jack. We talk about Matt. We kind of go through the whole thing. It's it's a good short kind of listen. So if you're still interested in that, even a week after the 25th had gone by, then there it is for you. And also Patreon-wise, we put out an episode for the 1998 Tibetan Freedom Show. So if that's something that you're interested in, well, here comes the spiel. Join Patreon. Join us over there. It's only a dollar a month if you want to join and just check it out. You know, the content's the thing. Because there's tons of content out there, and we just need to share it with more people. That's the thing. We're going to do content, then people are going to listen to content, and where are they going to go for it? Well, they're going to go here. They're going to go to the main platform. But for the people that really intake the show and really appreciate what we've been doing we've appreciated them right back and we've given them good content like this and this is just a a small thing but we have a lot more to come as the year goes by too so if you do want to listen to the tibetan freedom show all you got to do is go over to patreon.com slash live on four legs punch in your donation amount you can either do a dollar a month and really if you wanted to test it out for a dollar a month feel free it's all yours and please 
anybody that's already there or, or planning to go there, get in touch and we can get you to the right page on, on live on four legs.com where you can see all of the content all in one spot. It's very, very tough to do that on Patreon, but yeah, there are also $5 tiers and $10 tiers. If you're interested in signing up for those, then you will get a episode request for the $5 gigaleg tier and for the horizon leg tier, you'll be able to get a profile on our website and we'll do a profile of your Pearl Jam fandom for you that will go out on the platforms as well. So that seems like pretty enticing stuff. Don't you think? Yeah, I would totally sign up if I wasn't on the show. And you were a patron at one point. Yeah, I did sign up. And then after I started being on the show, I was still signed up and you were like, you know, you can just like click the stuff and listen to it because you're, you're an admin. I was like, oh yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, the more you guys donate and the more you guys interact, it just makes us want to keep doing more and more. So thanks to everybody who who continues to do that. And yeah, the website is great that collects all that stuff there. You don't have to go searching through an app to find it. Just go to liveonfourlegs.com, Patreon episodes. It's all right there for you. Yeah. And a big thank you to everybody that reached out you know, just in general, and it doesn't have to be for anything very specific, but there have been some people that have been like, hey, uh, you know, I heard this episode, and I just want to say you guys are doing some hard work and doing good, and I just want to thank anybody that has gone out of their way to reach out and, and say stuff like that. It really does mean the world, because, yeah, this is a grind. It's a big grind, and we know that right now it's not popping as it was back in May or September of last year. So, you know, maybe not as many eyeballs are on this, or I should say earballs are on this as there were during the tour and all that. But look, we've been, we've been doing this for over four years now, every day, you know, just kind of getting together and, and editing and, and doing the research. It doesn't, get boring it doesn't get old at all and we're just glad that somebody's listening and somebody's intaking it and happy that you got something to be entertained by so thank you all for that and listen to later in the show i'm going to give you some more information for a little bit of a goal that we're trying to reach in 2023 so keep that in mind as we get to the end we got six more songs before we get there though so we got a little bit of time Ed says right here, we shan't be leaving London yet. I'll never forget tonight because, like Sally Simpson, Sally Simpson, that sounds familiar. Yeah, from the Tommy musical, right? According to my friend John, I think that's correct. When, when in London, you gotta break out your Who references. Of course, I'm surprised there weren't more. I'm surprised there weren't more Who songs and, yeah. and all that. I, I'm gonna have a scar at the top of my head because Mike hit me with his guitar, that little fucking prick bastard he pulls me into the bathroom just right now and says come here you see that scar right there warfield san francisco eight years ago you did it to me so i'm on the offensive now we're gonna play quite a few more songs for you here and yeah it's brotherly love you know you take a lump and then you get a lump back and it always kind of find you in the end even if it's gonna happen eight years later so people in bands will hold grudges. That stuff will come back years and years later. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know. Especially if they have a lot of time to keep that grudge sure. held on to and, and get some payback and get some revenge. So we'll start with light years here because that's the first song in this. And I, I love this version of light years. Again, we're talking about a song that is only being played for the seventh time here. And just like some of the other binaural songs and some of the other performances in general, and I say binaural songs more because they're still getting 
used to playing these live a lot more. They're still kind of becoming staples in the set and sort of figuring in one way or another. But Light Years really seemed like it felt like he was channeling what the story of the song was. It kind of seemed like he knew it was a dedication for somebody. He was having a person on his mind. And it felt like there was a lot of like heartfelt kind of passion that went into this performance and you can kind of see in the way that he's playing and, and the way that he's kind of looking towards everybody that he's taking the lyrics to heart right here. very focused and we've mentioned a lot you know there's a lot of like little flubs and little hiccups of the show but it felt like he was making sure that light years was going to be one that was done perfectly and you know we're only a couple of weeks away here from that pink pop version which i think is probably the best of all time so we're building up to that here this is this is great evolution and last exit are going to follow up on that and the all three are very very good you know i think light years is definitely the standout and maybe even the standout from the encore altogether Ed, under his breath, kind of mutters, it's evolution, baby, and it jumps right into the song. Before that, you hear the person that Chris was talking about. Somebody yells out, do the evolution, brain a J. And then they kick right in to do the evolution, so the guy got what he wanted. Didn't get brain a J, but he got do the evolution. They definitely heard that guy, and they were like, okay, we're, we're taking your request right there. Good, good, good timing on that one. Right. Maybe chant alive in a couple of songs, see what you get. Aside from that, there's a lot of momentum into this. Stone is doing some cool stuff with his guitar here and just creating a lot of energy. And then this is where the battle sort of picks back up again, but doesn't really amount to anything as Ed runs at Mike with his mic stand in hand, doesn't follow through, just pretends, just acts like he's going to battery ram him, but nothing came of it. He said he was going to be on the offensive, so... Falling through. Last exit was a little surprising for an encore. I think that's part of the different that Ed was saying really early in his set. But yeah, good version of Last Exit here, kind of surprising. Yeah, again, Ed, like you said, really worked up on Do the Evolution and Last Exit too. These little two song runs, like Last Exit into Small Town, feels like it should not make any sense at all. But that's what you got with these encores back then. But yeah, I mean, one more fast one. We've seen them do that, you know, up into the present day. Throw in one more fast one in the encore. So I didn't catch this whole entire quote, but I think this is the gist of it right before getting into small town. This is one if you're an outsider, not from here, on and on and on, yada, yada, yada. Then you got to get the tube. It's a long way away. Am I missing something important? I don't think I am. 
He talks about like with Notting Hill and Shepherd's Bush and a couple of like the neighborhoods around London and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But London is definitely not a small town. You're not going to get that here. No, but hey, look, you're getting a coverless show and you're kind of down to the last three. It does work out. It does pretty well. And I think you're just kind of taking that energy from Evolution and Last Exit. You're honing it down a little bit more because you're going to go small town in the black and then finish off alive. You know, nothing out of the normal here on Small Town. I thought that this was a fine version of it, but I think it's just kind of the table setter for Black. I think that Black is the one that they really wanted to put emphasis on here. And, like, not a lot of sing-alongs here. You haven't really heard a lot of the crowd not at, at all in, in unison, so... It was probably good to give them like one because you, you didn't get Jeremy here. You didn't get a lot of not a lot of 10 songs. We've only had one up to this point. So you had not many chances for the crowd to really like jump out and, and sing along. So smart here to throw in small town to give them one last kind of moment in unison to kind of come together as a community. And I wonder for anybody that is more familiar with the first night. And I think I can probably go to back to our patron Chris on this. I wonder if that you were able to hear the crowd better through the bootleg on night one because there were more songs like that. Mm. We haven't gone through it yet, but hey, I could see a future where we'd probably get to it sooner rather than later. So the black, look, a version that's hitting all the right spots. Mike was not demon-possessed, but he was definitely doing a lot of the characteristics of Mike's demon. Getting some feedback on the amps, he was doing a little bit of the cocking his head back and pulling his head back and and playing up to the skies. But also, I think what was interesting on this is the staccato-like strumming for the ending, and we've seen this before. We've seen it a lot at Bridge School shows where they've done black, but this felt like a very electric and, and again, like pedal-heavy, effect-heavy version of the staccato strumming. Good. I noticed that too because we we talked about it so much on those Bridge School episodes. It wasn't that long before this that they were playing that Bridge School '99, so maybe that was still kind of on his mind with the song. But I really like Black here as the penultimate song. It really fits with kind of the mood we talked about, the kind of the romantic era of the show. You know, you had Thin Air, Untitled, Off He Goes, you know, Light Years even in the encore. But this is a really good spot for Black right here. I wish they would do this more as like put black like right at the end right before the end i think it adds a lot to it yeah i said that when we went to the st louis show this year it was it was third from last yeah and that was an absolute like that was the perfect spot that was the spot where 
you know you just got through the the single songs and you you wanted something that you're just able to sing and and just kind of feel the crowd on and it was it was perfect i get that i gotta mention this though during the doo-doo-doo-doos ed is just staring at mike just staring at him he's thinking should he go attack him again well you gotta be careful because mike is an axe murderer there's a joke in there somewhere people Mm. please please help a little bit of a little bit of clapping, a little bit of laughing. My self-esteem will rise, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, um, I had to get that bunch in. But Alive is going to close, obviously. It's rare for 2000. And this is one of the very few versions that we actually do get to hear in this year. And, you know, it, it kind of feels like they're back in a better spot with this song rather than 1998, like basically 95 through 98, where they were kind of a little tired of it and a little off of it energy wise. But this one felt pretty anthemic and you, you could see Ed, like he's changing lyrics. He's saying, I'm barely alive. It feels like, again, the show being so loose, it kind of takes that identity and turns it into one final moment. Very good. Killy hits the lights. You get to see the crowd, which really on the video, you don't get to see the crowd at all. Yeah, then Mike goes for a run, you know, does some laps, all that, while Warpigs is getting tagged. So he was trying to, the night. He was trying to get away from it from earlier. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Warpigs thing is very good on this. It's a really good, hard Warpigs tag. But uh, the same thing, I thought it, it felt really loose, kind of relaxed. Like, it's interesting to see like what they were thinking about this song during this run because after Ross killed, you didn't get it until their very last show. But it's it's too. I think it's it's Cameron is the difference. Like in in two thousand, like Alive fits more of his strength as being that powerful and precision is as far as where Jack from ninety five to ninety eight was really not that. It didn't really fit what the song really was. But you can see with these early Matt versions, it kind of came into its own. Yeah, at the end, Ed is swinging his mic in the air as the song and the two-night stint comes to a close. And yeah, this is a good show for them. I I absolutely see, and I don't think there's an eight-man show that I've listened to where I'm like, eh, no, that doesn't deserve to be eight-man. But I absolutely see why they chose this. This is is a very, very good show. And again, like mentioned a thousand times, this is a set of that era that does feel... Like, you are getting the rare stuff that maybe in 2000 you're not getting in other shows. Oh, yeah. So Those, those eight-man shows are curated by the band. Like, they, mm-hmm. they know, they remember. Those things are definitely, like, on the ball with purpose, I think. All right, how about three moments right here? As I kind of mentioned before, I'd have a tough time with this, but I'll figure it out. I'm usually good at figuring things out. Uh, you know, I'm in between like light years and animal for number three. Like both were just great in their own way. Like I want to give the nod to light years just because it is a binaural show. So I think I'm just going to do that. Also going to say for number two, again, I'm like in between like off he goes, not for you and immortality. But I think the, the moment of the show is not for you. So like the, the visual moments, I'm going to put that in, in the top three as well as no, at number two. And number one is habit. Habit was f- phenomenal from this night. It's a must listen. My number three is thin air. 
Stone's harmonies again really stuck out to me, and it really kicked off the second half of that main set, which was very, very good. And it's it's different from the other two. I'm I'm with you. I have I have habit at number two, and not for you at number one. Like those are hands down the two best performances. Yep, probably two most memorable from this one. Go into the highlights of the 2000 tour, if you want to say that. All right, off to a rating now. I'm going to give this a good score because I think it deserves it. I, I, I'm going to give this a nine, a very, very, very strong nine. It's the set, it's performances, it's where they are, and kind of everything coming together. This this era continues to surprise me with some of these shows, especially the eight-man ones, which mentioned a minute ago where the band just is exactly on top of them and they know what they like and they turn them on to the fans and the fans are, are into it right away. So yeah, a lot of performances from these shows I'll go back to at some point. That's why I'll give it a nine right here. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm going to give it an eight and a half for a lot of the same reasons. I think there's too many little, like it's, it's not a perfect show and I don't think it's up in that nine, nine and a half range, but that run from thin air to rearview mirror and then into light years is just fantastic. So that bumps it up to well above average. I'm at eight and a half. Yeah, I, I guess from that standpoint, I think the encore was a little bit lackluster, and that's what's dividing me between a nine and a nine and a half. But hey, you know what? It's a good show. It doesn't matter what we say, because if you were there, it was probably a 10 for you. So if it was a 10 for you, just let us know at a future date. What the heck are we doing next week? Well... I got something for you guys. I know we've kind of teased it a little bit at the beginning of the year and a little bit here and there. If you guys are really paying attention and catching the Easter eggs and stuff like that. But this whole entire year is going to have a theme. It's going to have the anniversary theme because it is a very, very strong anniversary year. The 2003 tour, it's the 20-year anniversary of that. The 1998, you know, we've mentioned it so many times. It's pretty obvious that we're going to do some shows from 1998 this year. And then even 2013, believe it or not, this is a decade that that album and those shows have happened. I don't know if I can kind of come to terms with that, but that's the case. And when we get later in October, I think we'll cover a couple of those shows. And on top of all that, of course, we're getting to a really, really big anniversary when it comes to the versus record big 30 year and a lot of that will happen in october or november as well so but first we are going to head to sydney australia to cover a show from 2003 another patron request from our friend greg so we should be really excited about that i believe he said it was his first pearl jam show and yeah, this was really these first shows in Australia were the kickoff for what was going to be an extremely memorable experience in 2003. And I think on the docket right now, we are at least at the very least, I haven't added anything. We haven't subtracted anything thus far. At the very least, I think we're doing nine shows from 2003 this year. Nine. That's a pretty healthy amount. How excited are you? Oh, yeah. Super excited. And that's a Valentine's Day show next week, too. So that'll be a lot of fun. Speaking yep. of the, the romantic theme that we talked about today. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I think 98, I think we're going to do like six or seven. And you'll have to wait cool. wait another week to do 1998 because we're getting to that nearly right away. So Sydney from Valentine's Day in 2003 is going to be the next show. Hope to see you all there. 
And hey, if you liked what you heard here, you like the show, you like getting good Pearl Jam conversation, then if you are interested, if you want to help us out, then head on over to Apple, head on over to Spotify and give us a little bit of a rating. And as I mentioned kind of before I kind of teed this up, that we have a little bit of a goal this year because we do want to get more recognized. If people are searching for Pearl Jam, we want to be at the top. So our goal right now is to try to get 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts and get comments as well so we can kind of boost our rating a little bit and and obviously become more visible to everybody. So if you are enjoying what you're listening to and want to give us a shout-out and want to leave us a comment and let us – let not us know, but let the people know, the people that are looking for content right here about Pearl Jam, let them know what they're in for when they listen to this, then that would be extremely, extremely appreciated. Again, you know, this is how you get heard. This is how you get listened to. You can only plug on social media so much before people just decide to unfollow you. It's the truth. (laughs) What, What do you want? So, yeah. Anything counts, everything counts, but yeah, if you can help out on Apple or even Spotify as a ranking system, if you help out on either of those, that would be hugely, hugely appreciated. And let us know when you do, because we actually, we we mentioned somebody last week, we didn't know who they were, but just a couple hours ago, they sent out an email and they were like, oh, hey, you know, I was the one that made that comment. His name is Chris. I'm going to give another shout out to Chris just for writing back to us and letting us know he's digging the stuff. So thank you. Great stuff. Thank you, Chris. Yep. And look, we haven't gotten a lot of fan mail lately, so if you want to just write us with some questions, some of your thoughts, I would love to do a mailbag of some sort in the future, but it seems to be flies hovering around there, so... Yeah, we'll respond to your emails if you send one. Absolutely. Well, yeah, not just that, but I think we'll respond to... We'll respond to them on the air at some point. I would love to do something like that. I was trying to generate that for a question of the week until I thought of the one that we did, but we do want to talk about ourselves at some point we do want to talk about you know some of our opinions outside of what the show is so if you have anything for that send us a note on social media or i think the best way for something like this is live on four legs podcast at gmail.com the four it's just the number four sometimes you just have to add that in live on four legs podcast at gmail.com so that's the end of this one. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Great show out of England. Can't wait to go there again later this year. Is it going to be for Hyde Park? Shh. Nobody knows. But next week's going to be Australia. So get excited about that. We'll see you then. I'm on the offensive. <laughs> <laughs>